hey, I know my role um, as a pastor to the church because there are just different people in our church, right? And I try to do the very best that I can. And on this day of Super Bowl, <laughs> some of you are dead to me. No, I'm just kidding you. <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I'm just kidding you. But in case you wondered, there you go. I just, I just didn't want to be a distraction. Me and my friend Joel, who's a big Chiefs fan, have already connected, we shared love, we said like fake things like it's just a game, you know, all the things that we, you know, we say, like at the end of the day, it's all about Jesus. And I said I would pray for him. I know some of you hate football, I'm sorry. Some of you are Packer fans, I'm really sorry about that. Oh, I know, Dave. Oh, I know. Today we're going to d jump into um, which is the final part of our series around the first things. And today we're going to look at this idea of community. So many ways of looking at what community is. And today I'm going to, I'm going to remind you a few times. This is an analogy when I get into it. A parable. Though it might be very helpful I'm going to encourage you, like, this is something that could literally help you, but also it's some, a different way of looking at community. Some of you might be asking, what is he talking about? You'll get it in a little while. Let me read to you these verses that we find in Acts chapter 2. This is not long after we talked about last week. The Holy Spirit comes, gives them power, and this is the response of a power-filled people followers of Jesus as the first church got together and started to encourage one another. Acts 2, verses 42, it's up on the screen, but let me read it to you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, I ask for your help. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make things clear to us, challenge us, encourage us. You have something to say to somebody here today. Just do what you want to do in the midst of this, God. In your name, amen. When you look at the scripture, what do you see? Once again, it could be a very common reference. You maybe have read this many times. Maybe you've heard many, many things about it. Maybe sometimes you may have heard sermons that make political statements about this or structural things about this, all sorts of ways of seeing this. But when I looked at this this week and stared at it over and over and over, I saw something unique. I saw food. Now, it could be true that because I often fast on the days that I'm really preparing that I was just hungry. But the reality is, as you look at these verses and you stare at them, there is something very powerful about a meal and about being together. It's different kinds of meals, including spiritual ones, physical ones, shared resources. And then there is the literal one of breaking and consuming bread together. 
Sometimes people will look at this where they just had communion together. But I'm also thinking that their communion was a little bit different than the cups that we hand out. Communing together. But it just seems peculiar to me that they mention something so common as just eating multiple times in describing the original community of the church. For it's common for believers and non-believers. Like, like, like it's something that we all do, but twice or three times they're mentioning, and they broke bread together, and they ate together, and they worshiped, and then they ate together. There's something about the communing of believers and a meal. There's something so deeply communal about Jesus and the meal. Also, he, he had this thing that we often say, like, we love it. Like, Jesus ate with sinners. Now, I'm not trying to be funny, but if he didn't eat with sinners, he would have eaten every meal alone. I mean, that was just like, he stepped into these situations because that is why he came. It was not to find the perfect people, because I said it would have been an incredibly lonely time for Jesus. But he stepped into these situations, which seems to be an organizational hierarchy of who you wait with, the honor, the places where you sat. And he kind of took this thing that was for people, and he made it as something with people. Now, I could go back and try to explain historical context of this, but I think if you just took a moment and say, does some of that still exist today? Absolutely. I mean, if you just think about who am I willing to host and who am I willing to let host me, we're going to find this context super quick of like even how are we engaging as community within this booth, within this space, or within our world. If Jesus lived out on earth as it is in heaven, it seemed like one of the specific things he did was how he approached the meal, who he was with. I heard it also often said, and I believe this is true, that Jesus did this to tell people to repent. Now, while if you're engaging with Jesus and he's expressing himself to you, you, you want to align yourself back with God, so absolutely but as Paul wrote to the people of Rome, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that it is his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? There's something powerful about the presence of Jesus sitting and sharing a meal. For Jesus, the shared meal was the beginning and the enduring experience of community. It was his intention, though, for all of us to go beyond just our family and our friends. His table included everyone. It included the least and the lonely. His table was for the outsider, the marginalized, the despised and socially defined enemies. And I'm wondering how Jesus prepared himself to step into these situations. Because I think that's the piece of community we often overlook. How do I prepare myself to either be hosted or to host? Jesus, we have these examples throughout the New Testament. He dined with tax collectors who invited him in. He also dined with tax collectors where he invited himself over. It's one of my favorite stories. Hey, I'm going to your house today. 
Oh, really? Oh, okay. He made space for the uninvited person as the marginalized woman was on the outside looking in, and he said, hey, come sit near me. He fed five or 10 or 15,000, whatever the total number was. While the disciples said, let them go back to town and fend for themselves. And Jesus looks at his disciples and said, this could be the greatest meal of all time. You give them something to eat. And then Jesus fed them. He shared a meal with his disciples right before his crucifixion, clarifying what he was about to do. And then after his resurrection, when the disciples kind of gave up hope, went out to fishing again. What did Jesus do? He went to the beach. And he made his disciples breakfast. And he said, come, let's eat together. There's something powerful around sharing substance for our bodies and the substance of our souls for each other. We even see the words of Jesus to the communities in Revelation. It says this, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and do what? Eat with that person, and they with me. Now, I know there's some of you who are just so literal, like, I use, like, like okay, I, I'm so hungry right now. Like, but I think it is both. I think Jesus is like, we will do this together, and it more metaphorically and literally. As we finished our series on the essentials of following Jesus together, we looked at things like faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We looked at what it means to follow Jesus, to pick up our cross daily. We looked at what was to worship Jesus, to minister to others with Jesus, and life in the Spirit with Jesus. And today we finish with being community together. A community that's hosted by Jesus, fed by Jesus, and each other. One of the great challenges of being community could be that in order for us to reflect heaven... It needs to be incredibly diverse. I'm not sure how you envision heaven. I mean, there's so many things to this. If you've lived a very kind of like, these are my people and this is how I live, heaven probably reflects a lot of like how you see life. But as I look at what a description of a church should look like, could look like, and in many ways, our church does look like this, at least scratching at the surface, I see this. The church is a family of imperfect women and men, young and old, of all backgrounds, ethnicities, stories, who gather together by the grace of Christ to worship Jesus and depend on the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit to be on mission together for the glory of God. I don't know many people that would look at that and go, Oh, I disagree. I mean, people are like, that's great. That's what I want. That's what I see. But there's active words in this definition. Words like gather, worship, depend, and mission. Those active words often collide with things that we would call our calendar, our preference, our personal purpose, what we want. We can look at a definition and say, yes, that's what it is. But there's roadblocks we've placed in front of us. There's a parable in Luke chapter 14. Jesus is literally sitting at a meal with people, 
and he's talking about the kingdom of God. There's not a lot of agreement. So he starts to talk about the kingdom of God as a huge banquet, as a gathering of people. He uses a story telling a meal. It goes like this. A host was planning a huge feast for a wedding. And he invited all what might be the important people. He invited everyone to be there, everyone who should receive an invitation. And everyone who was invited made an excuse of why they couldn't come. The excuses included, I have to take care of something that I bought. I have to go try out these oxen or wave runners that I bought. I just got married and I need to keep focusing on my own celebration a bit longer. The invite collided with people's calendars, preferences, their purposes. So the host Jesus in his parable goes out and invites everyone. Let me read it to you. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. This parable reflects the hearts and hopes of the great host of Jesus. These are the ones that Jesus wants. Who? Everyone. And what does this mean for us who are simply called to do what Jesus did? Might mean things like loving your neighbor who don't look like you, live like you, vote like you. People who may not be your brother and sister in Christ, but they're your neighbor. The ones that were included in the command. For so many people, and as I look at what church is and community is, it reminds me a lot of a potluck meal. Have you been to a potluck? That was like the easiest question in the world. It's like, <laughs> yes or no. This is the part where I'm going into an analogy. Though this might be incredibly helpful if you've been invited over for a Super Bowl party today. A potluck meal is an unpredictable, at times, contradiction of flavors and seasoning with a potential beautiful display of participation. Or it could be a complete failure. I grew up in church. I grew up in a certain kind of church that, and then maybe, I think this church had this for, potlucks were like the greatest thing ever, potentially. For me as a kid, it was the greatest thing ever because I knew this guy named Steve was bringing a bucket of KFC every time. And my parents would never let me have KFC. And let me tell you, that bucket went first because every kid went and was grabbing pieces. And they're like, children, you need to sit till the parents get KFC. And I'm like, if you want a KFC, why can't we go there? That's a different issue. been working on that with my therapist for a long time. Of course, my church Christianized potluck and called it pot blessing. A lot of people didn't get the memo about the blessing part. I joke because I know some of you are like, you shouldn't use the word luck in church. Sometimes. <laughs> I lived in Maui for five years. I would say one of the foundational, foundational things of Maui is the potluck. We'd go to weddings where the wedding reception was 
potluck. And that might seem weird to you, but I'm telling you, those were some parties. Where you come ready to bring what you can to share with others. We had a small group, maybe 8, 10, it got to be like a small church, 10, 12, 14, and we would say, let's take turns bringing food. But in Hawaii, and of certain cultures, people can't just show up. So we'd say, just take turns. But every week, somebody would bring food. Like, everybody would bring food. One week we had, for 12 people, we had 10 pies. And I'm like, this is enough. So then we would assign, next week you're in charge. And everybody would agree. And the next week, we had like 10 pot roasts. It was like everybody brought the same thing. It was just like, no, we can't. So we just gave up. And just, I gained 20 pounds on Maui. I've seen a lot of potlucks, and I've seen a lot of potluckers. And I've made some observations over the years about how people participate in them. So because of that, I created a really deep, rich, theological, ecclesiological truth about potlucks and potluckers. Are you ready? This is an analogy, but it could be incredibly helpful for some of you. Here we go. Here it's called, The Theology of the Seven Kinds of Potluckers and How They Are Shaping the Church. <laughs> and to be clear, I have literally been every single one of these. So if you're like, he's calling me out. No, the Holy Spirit's calling you out. He just told me to say it to you today. Seven types of potluckers and how they're shaping the church. Seven types of potluckers and church potlucks. Number one is this, the no-show. This is the person who says, I might be there. Maybe I'll come. Hey, we're having this thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll probably can make it. This person has developed a reputation that there maybe is a no. It's always a no. They just say it. So people are already walking out on me. I'm just kidding. They might say it just so like, to appease, and you're like, yeah, I might be, the, I have a friend that when he says maybe, it's no. And I tell him that. You're not coming. He's like, but nobody else knows that except you. I'm like, no, everybody knows it. But what I want you to know, for those people who just have a hard time showing up, you're wanted there. There is a gift that others receive from you showing up. And it's so hard to wrap our minds around that sometimes. And there's a gift that you receive from showing up as well. Paul wrote this to a community in a church in Galatia. Serve one another humbly in love. Your presence is a gift for somebody else. And you need to receive a gift yourself. Secondly, in the seven types of potluck, the church potluck, there's the no-show. But there's the second person, the person who brings nothing. Oh, come on, that's some of you. <laughs> I've had friends once, twice, three times, four times, five times. I'm like, okay, I get it, I get it. But bro, at some point, you need to bring something to the potluck. You have a reputation. I will say personally, my wife has saved me from this plight. When I get invited somewhere and they said, no, we don't need to bring anything, she goes, that's not an option. We always bring something. I will always bring something. And now I don't even ask, and I tell people, like, they don't bring anything. I'm like, well, we're going to, so just tell me something that matches. 
Because there's something about the preparation of your heart. There's something about preparing to share that opens up your heart to also receive. There's a lie that we start believing that feeds into this at times. Some of you are believing that you're worth nothing, that you have nothing to add, that you're good for nothing, that I'm not loved or lovable, so we stop even preparing to give to somebody else. To you, I want you to hear these words from Paul to a church community in Ephesus. You, my friends, are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Those verses aren't just written to some, they're written to a community in a church. Third, of the seven types of potluckers, the person who brings food for one. This is the person that brings one chicken wing or two rolls. This is a true story. On Maui, we had, we had potlucks all the time. My friend Kenneth showed up. Now, Hawaiian rolls show up in a pack of 8, 16, or 24. There is no one pack. He showed up with a bag and had one roll in it and put it down in the church potluck. I'm like, Kenneth, bruh. And he spoke very thick pigeon, which I'm not going to try, but it was like, yeah, bruh. And I'm like, you brought one roll. He goes, huh, I got hungry on the way over. <laughs> he ate seven rolls on the way to the feast, and he's like, he's like, the Lord said, bring something. It'd be funny if he only did that once. Every time he's like, huh, I got two and a half rolls left over. This guy used to buy KFC, put it in his own home cooking with foil, and then bring it. And people are like, we need your recipe. And he's like, oh, special recipe. 27 herbs and spices. And we're like, whatever. <laughs> to you, I'd say the embodiment of the Holy Spirit in our lives is generosity. Now, I know full well, we say a generosity creed every single week, and we attach it often to a giving. And generosity is being generous with our money, but generosity is also being generous with our time, being generous with our thoughts, being generous with our encouragement, with our prayer. My friends, generosity isn't just a pick and choose, though. It's like a chain link. It's generous in all of these things, giving what we can give. This is asking others about what their story is and sharing your story with them. Paul wrote this to a church community in Corinth. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous. I'm going to read this verse again. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. We are generous because of God's generosity towards us. None of these elements of generosity are isolated. They're connected. Be generous and cultivate a lifestyle that thinks of things bigger than you. The fourth thing in our seven types of the church potluck, the no-show the person who brings nothing, the person who brings food to one, fourth, the person who complains about everything. This is the person that says, 
after looking at what other people brought, their initial response is, yeesh, this is a mess. You take on the posture of a judge on Food Network, and you're like, your presentation lacks substance. I'm not even sure what you were thinking about as you came, and this is what you brought. I would much prefer a catered meal. In fact, I like churches that cater their meals so there's a quality of food presented versus what everybody else is bringing. Of course, I'm exaggerating, and I'm not. (laughs) Peter writes this to a persecuted Christian community that were living in five regions and scattered. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That line there, faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. The Holy Spirit, one of the things the Holy Spirit does is bring amazing creativity to how we show God's grace in various forms with each other. My friends, if you seek for something to be unhappy about, you will find it everywhere, all the time. I could give you a list of what things I think people complain about, but I don't want to help the enemy. But here's real talk. Within community, within family, within friends or church, I'm not suggesting that people don't voice their opinions or concerns. Of course not. We should never be inauthentic with how we feel and what we're experiencing. And if somebody ever says to you, you should just have faith and blindly submit and follow your leaders, you should run, because that is not healthy. But I also wonder if there's times we live on the currency of anger, fear, outrage. Sometimes I wonder if there are times when we intentionally look for reasons to be upset or disagree, or we say, I'm just being the devil's advocate, and I think you need to hear what you're actually saying in that moment. The devil's advocate means you are fighting for him. Because the inner work that changes presents us to be something bigger than ourselves. This one is such a hard one because, yes, be open about what you're thinking and feeling, but in a posture of this comes across like this. There are those who bring that kind of mindset, and I think the host wants something different. Of the seven type of potluckers, there's the no-show, the person who brings nothing, the person who brings food for one, the person who complains about everything. And then there's the fifth person, the person who eats everything. They don't realize it's a buffet table. They literally pull up the chair and just start digging in plate by plate by plate. You're like, is that really? Oh, yeah, I, I have examples of all of these. But we assume that everything is for us. This is not for you just to taste everything. This is the person who approaches the potluck as their personal buffet. Paul writes this to a community in Philippi. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This one is so much about like posture about how we see and how we see around us, and is there enough for others? Imagine a community that just focuses on themselves. It's probably not hard to imagine. But imagine a community that when people are about to join into the community, they prepare their hearts. Holy Spirit, what can I offer to somebody else today? What can I receive from somebody else today? 
The idea is this, God, I receive your blessing so that I may bless others. The sixth person in our seven types of potluck is the person who won't try anything new. They look and go, that doesn't look familiar, that doesn't look familiar, I stay away from that. Now, I know, I know in a literal potluck, there's like, I don't know, where the, I don't know what hands have been on that. Did you see that kid put his finger in that? I get, I get the literal where this, this, where this falls apart. But there's something also where you just look for that which already looks familiar. The purpose of a potluck is communal. Sometimes people only eat what they brought. It's predictable and it's known. Some of you are laughing because that's what you do. <laughs> to remind you, I'm not just talking about food. Community needs beautiful diversity on the table. Real community needs culture and multiple languages and different kinds of music and different kinds of food. I prepared this person that I was going to talk about him, my friend Steve, our friend Steve. You guys know Steve? Steve is a super, yeah, Steve. <laughs> Steve also has a matching shirt on today. Let's show our shirts. Same, same. Same, same. Steve has a superpower, even though my friend Steve literally has no stomach because it got removed, he has a superpower about food, which is kind of funny. Whenever Steve and I travel, wherever we are, he finds the best places to eat. We never go to a chain restaurant when we go somewhere else. When we're in Atlanta, we eat what they have in Atlanta. When we're in Chicago, we eat what they have in Chicago. When they're in San Luis Obispo, we eat what has in San Luis Obispo. When we're in L.A., he has, and he, I just go, Steve, you choose, you pick, because I'm going to experience what this place has to offer. That's the mindset of, I want to experience what others have to offer. Steve's family and my family also do this other thing. When we miss each other, when we just want to spend time with each other, and we don't have time to prepare, we do a thing we call hodgepodge, which literally means open your fridge and what you bring whatever you have and we'll combine it with whatever we have. I think the first time we did this, we had a half-eaten um, Costco chicken. I think it had like two slices of pizza. We had rice. You had probably some kale, disgusting <laughs> thing. And it was just like this collage of things that was like, this is the most amazing meal ever. But we didn't care about the meal because we just missed each other. Because we don't want to have any excuses not to be together. So just bring what you have. Often it's a beautiful fusion of Japanese, Vietnamese, and whatever Caucasian people can come up with <laughs> of this food together. And then Steve and Lisa just enjoy the Vietnamese, Japanese, and we're just like, okay. John had this vision of the throne of God. After this, I looked up, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes, and they were holding palm branches in their hands. As God opened up a vision to what heaven is really like and what I think heaven on earth should really be like, it was a beautiful, multicultural, multilingual, diverse life experience. Heaven is not a taste-controlled chain restaurant. 
that's a predictable wherever you visit, though those times are comforting. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. And finally, the seventh kind of person at a potluck is the person who simply says, I'm here, and this is what I could bring. This person shows up, and they've prepared something. They've made some time to say, I need and I want to give this to others. They show up and say, here's my story, and if you're willing to tell me your story, I'd love to hear it. They bring their dish, no matter what it is. It could be a bucket of chicken. It could be something miraculous. They're excited for others to potentially enjoy it and look forward to what other people have to offer. Here's something that I have found to be really unique about the church. Businesses or athletic teams or whatever, they hire or select or draft people with specific gifts and abilities, right, to match what they need. And then Jesus' vision of the church is open the doors. So while business approach says, this is what we need, we're going to hire that, the church is like, here is, here is us. That doesn't mean some of you, I mean, all, all of us God has gifted us with. And all of us need to be developed and trained and brought along. Through the mindset of a high school football coach, I'm often given a list of kids who signed up to play. This doesn't mean I walked around the school and I'm like, I want you and I want you. It was simply a list. And my job as a coach is to develop and train and try and experience and to correct and develop and train. It seems like a church should be doing a lot of the same kinds of things where we develop and train and encourage and try so that we all may grow into the very thing God has for us. I believe that a church flourishes when the mission of Jesus and the church becomes deeply personal for each one of you. But my friends, it takes real work. It takes really trying. To those who like, it's just easier not to show up. To you, I would say, God wants to do something in your life when you do. To others who are like, I don't really like to host people. I just want to host the people I know. Isn't that good enough? That's wonderful. But God wants something different and more for you. There are specific things in Scripture about being hospitable to the stranger. No matter your personality makeup, we can't hide from the fact that Jesus modeled the beauty of a meal that invited everybody in. And he made space for them. As we move forward, and what we're going to be talking about is in our night of vision and prayer in a few weeks, is that very thing. It's not just a plan. It's not just a strategy. But is it willing to work together? Churches compensate for these things by having a magnetic preacher who just draws crowds. But as we talked about last week, <laughs> this is all you're getting. <laughs> or they draw magnetic ministries and strategies. I think that's just to make up that they don't want to do the hard work 
or that people don't want to do the hard work of training and equipping and trying and failing and stepping into situations that are hard. But if we do it together with the Holy Spirit with us, think about how this could be different. It came out in the paper again today. There is a loneliness epidemic in our world. There is a lonely epidemic in our county. They are saying people are lonelier than they've ever been before. We have to figure out how we help people feel like they belong. And to assume that it is those outside of the church that are lonely, you are fooling yourself. Because we're in it here as well. Let's pray.